From the Cervera Newsroom in sunny Miami, welcome to the Miami Real Estate Podcast, your home for expert insight on all things Miami real estate. I'm your host, Omar DeWint. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's show. This is our final economic insights of the year. So let's, uh, let's dive in. Big news this week, obviously, is Fed had their last meeting of the year um, indicating that they're going to be doing some cuts, maybe three in 2024. What is that going to look like? When are they going to do it and how will it affect us? Well, when they do it will depend on the path of inflation. So even though the Federal Reserve meeting that occurred, their big two-day meeting that occurred um, earlier this week was the big news. From my point of view, the inflation numbers, the CPI numbers that came out a little bit earlier in the week um, were really uh, set the stage, were the really important thing for all of us because the headline inflation number came in at 3%, um, which is getting us so very close to that magical 2% number that the Federal Reserve is going to need to see my guess is for probably about two months um, before they're willing to start cutting rates. So up to this point, inflation's been sort of edging its way down from that high of 9% that we saw almost two years ago, right? So we were living with 9% inflation and it's been kind of gradually coming down um, as it does. Now, we also know, and we've talked about this a few times before, that the way inflation numbers are calculated um, can get kind of tricky in these transitional periods particularly the shelter number. So there's an inflation shelter number out there. Um, and we know that last year and the year before, housing prices, rent prices were up significantly, but all that's kind of come to a standstill. But it takes some time for that lack of inflation to flow through into the official numbers. Now, Everybody knows this who sort of tracks these numbers. The Federal Reserve knows this. And so I think it's one of the reasons why, even though they haven't seen an actual 2% number, which is the target, it's what they're looking for, they're still willing to come out there and publicly say, we know how these numbers are calculated. And by the way, it's not that there's any trick to these numbers. I want to be very, very clear. It's nothing um, nefarious going on. It's just the way that... Um, you know, numbers have to be calculated to, to get an appropriate number, but appropriate numbers come with caveats. We're all aware of the caveats. So I think this is why they are willing to step out there and say, we think we're going to be able to cut rates um, next year. It will, of course, depend on when that inflation number hits 2%. It probably won't be March, but there's a good chance it could come in the second quarter, which has delivered that sort of holiday gift to everyone of what folks are calling the everything rally. So stocks rallied, bonds rallied. You saw financial markets across the board rally. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about international markets and, and what this means for the value of the dollar. I want to point that out as we sort of go on, because it does mean that if you haven't taken your trip to Europe yet, you probably missed the really cheap opportunity. And Sort of side note here, but just the fact that the Fed is vocalizing these things is really kind of significant, right? Because they hedge for they do. good reason. They do. They hedge because one of the mistakes that we can now all see that they made, because it's sort of with monetary policy, it's super easy to do that Monday morning quarterbacking thing where it's easy to see their mistakes. And so they really flubbed up 
in 2021 and into early 2022 when they kept saying, we think inflation's transitory. Well, it turned out that it wasn't transitory. And so they're being, they've been very, very careful because as we've sort of talked about before, um, it isn't just the actual inflation number that matters. It's the expectation of inflation. So one of their most important jobs is for them to make us believe that they're going to keep inflation under control. So if I don't expect inflation, if I don't expect price increases, then I don't rush out and hurry and buy things that then cause inflation to go up. So it's kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy that can happen around inflation. So they have been very careful this time to say things like, we will do whatever it takes to get inflation under control. We will tolerate job losses to get inflation under control. Now, nobody's gonna come back in a year and go, you promised us job losses and they didn't happen, right? Instead, they're gonna be, yay, soft landing. Inflation comes down, but there aren't job losses, which is the ideal scenario. But the Federal Reserve has to convince us and be convincing, and we have to trust them that that's going to happen. And when it does, it comes together sort of in a way that we've all been fingers crossed hoping for, and now seems to be sort of the reality, what's actually happening. Other good numbers out this week. So mortgage rates, we all know, it's our world, fell below 7% this week. Refi are up 2%, and year-over-year -year listings are up around 7% since this time last year. This is all obviously really good news. We all, though, of course, have our eye on the spring market right now, and sort of in combination with Fed activity, what does this mean for our spring market? Um, there's also some concerns that I'm hearing that because now we are starting to see a downward trend, we've got a lot of buyers being like, ah, I'm good, I'm just going to sit back and watch this continue to happen. How long will that trend go on? And maybe what can our agents be talking about with our with their buyer prospects to uh, perhaps curtail that misguided tendency a little bit? Well, I think that you always have two things going on. You have the buyers that can wait and then the buyers that can't wait because of life circumstances. And so the buyers that can't wait because of life circumstances, you know, maybe they could wait a week or a month, but they couldn't wait a year. And so those folks are the ones who are really going to be pouring back into markets at this point. The other thing too, is that for folks who are sort of use real estate as part of their portfolio allocation, if that's the way you wanna think about it, um, we've talked a lot about over the last year how I can park money in a money market fund and earn 5% and do nothing totally risk-free. And so that's the other piece of why folks are waiting because they have this alternative that's providing them with 5% appreciation. So now that that's going to start to come down and be a less attractive alternative to other asset classes, I think this stimulates markets as well. So folks can no longer sort of sit on the sidelines because the sideline um, doesn't look as attractive, right, as it did six months ago. So that whole process means that you get just this gradually, um, the, the ice starts to chip away all during the winter. And I think by the spring, you start to get that first real Federal Reserve rate decline. And this is when things go sort of, you know, back to, to sort of a normal that we can all live with. But I want to be clear, nobody needs to think that we're going back to 2020. So 
The problem I hear articulated all the time is that sellers think it's 2020 and buyers think it's 2008, yeah. right? And so it's going to be a new year. It's going to be 2024 and it's going to be its own thing. Wise words, but also a, a, a nice sort of glimmer of happiness for um for prepping hard for the for the spring season okay so let's let's talk about the uh, sort of the global market a little bit um the uk actually saw, saw saw some headlines this week that the uk housing market is also picking up um i mean so many of our our global members have been experiencing things similar to what we've experienced in the us low inventory sluggish consumers um is the UK uh, sort of the, the beginning of some, some expansion in our global markets as well? Well, remember that sort of the US has been at the forefront of monetary policy for the last two years. And the rest of the world, particularly Europe, has been sort of six months behind. And so the prospect of the US lowering rates means that suddenly three, four months later, you might see some easing across Europe. Now, remember though, European markets work very, very differently than they do in the US. And if you think about what's gone on in Britain, while we've seen 8% mortgage rates at one point or close to it, they still have mortgage rates hovering around 5% because our mortgage rates track the 10-year treasury and their mortgage rates tend to um, track five-year instruments, so much more short-term because they don't take out 30-year mortgages as a rule like we do. Their interest rates are fixed for much shorter periods of time. This is true across most of Europe. So you don't see the massive disruptions to their markets when interest rates rise so quickly that you do here because they don't have as much of a long-term expectation element built into it. So for instance, our, rate, our markets literally came to a standstill when rates sort of exceeded 6% because no one wants to lock in 6% for 30 years or more knowing that rates, this is not where rates are going to be a year out, two years out. So that's a little bit different dynamic because we have sort of mortgages that, that give us long-term economic stability in our markets, but they can also have these sort of wonky side effects when rates do crazy things like they have over the last year. That's not the case in markets where mortgages are tied to more shorter term interest rates. But I wanna say something long-term about Britain, and that is they are also adjusting to Brexit. And that process was going to take years, right? Well, it's been years now. And so the longer we get away, sort of, or the farther we get into the new economic reality, um, the more of the sort of shock from the actual process of Brexit goes away. So you've seen more long-term stability in Great Britain. Think about a year ago when they were sort of churning through prime ministers the way that I, you know, churn through high heels, right? It was just every day, a new pair, new prime minister, new pair of shoes, and right? all kind of uncomfortable. And they're all uncomfortable, exactly. Um, but that's not what we've seen. We've seen sort of, you know, some political stability in Great Britain. And I think that that's helping sort of markets there as well. That stuff all matters. Awesome. Okay, guys, we are going to do something a little fun here at the end of the year for our final show. This is the time for you to put questions into the question box. In the meantime, Marcy, let's do a little sort of looking back, looking forward. Um, so 2023. 
what surprised you the most in the 2023 economic landscape? Sure. Um, I have to say it was the strength of labor markets, right? The Federal Reserve raises rates from zero to over 5%, so a 500 basis point increase in interest rates. And we did see some um, layoffs in the technology sector, but those layoffs in the technology sector, layoffs on financial markets, you know, any announcement of layoffs never translated into a meaningful change in the unemployment rate. In fact, instead, you saw consistently 200,000 new jobs created every single month. And I sort of scratched my head a little bit and thought, well, why is this so different? Because if you think about 2008, when you had that massive shock to the housing market that then spilled over into every other market, unemployment rates stayed elevated for years. And part of it seems to be that the labor market has gotten better um, with people sort of moving into new positions. And so the friction around losing your job is less than what it was before. And I think part of that has to do with technology, that if you do lose your job, um, it's pretty easy to go to your sort of LinkedIn network and start working that. And I think that, that sort of this is something that has a long-term payoff because the cost of inflation, it, it's painful for people, right? But it tends to be temporary, wages adjust. But losing your job and staying unemployed for a long period of time, that's a blow that follows people around their entire lives. Their, their entire sort of well-being will be impacted, not just when they lose their job, but year after year after year. And so in terms of my biggest surprise and what I'm really most grateful for is that from an economic point of view, we raised rates, inflation came down, but you didn't see a meaningful cost in terms of actual unemployment. And this is quite frankly, an outcome that, that turned out to be even better than any of us in the field really imagined going into this. Fantastic. Okay, uh, 2024 now. What economic uncertainty about the coming year is in the Wake Marcy Russell up at night category? Well, you know, I'm not, it's not clear to me how artificial intelligence is going to be regulated. And I think 2024 is the year when hopefully we will sort of stop being distracted by sort of not so important political things. And Washington will get serious about how are we going to manage what could be so economically beneficial, but also is dangerous in some ways for reasons that I don't, you know, we don't need to go into because everybody has their nightmare scenarios, you know, around artificial intelligence. Um, and if you don't believe me, just go watch, you know, the latest Mission Impossible movie, right? But, but, right? But this is the year um, when that must be done. And I am sort of concerned, as I have been before, that, that we're, we, we can't seem to bring ourselves together to do the simplest things like, you know, pass appropriations bills, pass a farm bill, um, all of those things that need to get done so that the bigger long-term picture that's going to involve some technologies that are very new, very difficult to understand, um, needs to be dealt with. And, and that's the thing that, that keeps me up at night. So who is the Sam Bankman Freed of AI, right? Who's going to pop out of the bushes in 2024? Is that kind of the 
yes, you are the lawyer. You're the lawyer. You think I'm going to answer that question? <laughs> please, please, please. All right, cool. So 2024, what is, we've talked about the scary, what is the most likely scenario for the economic landscape as a whole? Um, and also, so do the economy and then sort of uh, hone in a little bit on the housing market in 2024 as well. What are you predicting as, as what's likely to happen? Sure. So as we go into 2024, we are looking at, as I said before, lower interest rates, but that probably won't happen until the second quarter. So you're going to get your first rate cut in the second quarter, which means January, February, and March, the news is going to be all over the map. It's going to be two steps forward, one step back, two step forward, one step back. If there's anything I could encourage you to do, if you can somehow manage to do it, take a news diet in January. Just go on a news diet. Every once in a while, even I do this when I know that I'm not going to have an engagement. I'm not going to really need to talk about the economy maybe for two or three weeks. I literally cut myself off from it. I don't look at Bloomberg. I don't read The Economist magazine. I don't keep up with the data to give myself just a little bit of a break. And if you somehow can manage to do that, I would encourage you to. It would be good for your health. It's good for you mentally, just sometimes to just clear all that stuff out. And I think January, February, and March, news is going to be all over the place. It's going to be very confusing. It's going to feel confusing. And no one's really going to have much insight until things start to happen in April, May, and June. And this is when you get real rate cuts. And that's going to mean housing gets a whole lot stronger very quickly, even in anticipation of rate cuts, because once people really believe rates are coming down, they're gonna be willing to take the plunge and be comforted by the idea that when rates come down, you can just refi, just refi, just refi. That that. We've been saying that for a year, but, but folks really can't believe that until they start to see actual rate cuts. And, and so I think that's the dynamic that's going to really take hold in that second quarter of 2024. Fantastic. All right, good. So we are going to do uh, some Q&A now, and we're, we've got some coming in. Keep them coming, folks. So uh, first question, what are your predictions for how China will affect the 2024 landscape? You know, the Chinese economy is much weaker, um, I think, in the sort of post-COVID environment than anyone could have ever anticipated. They have the weight of falling housing prices. Um, so they've got sort of that 2008-2009 U.S. scenario finally on their hands. They don't seem to be willing to stimulate or able, quite frankly, to put forward some economic stimulation the way that they did back during the last housing bust, which means their consumers are going to struggle and prices are going to begin to fall. Their economy is aging. So they're sort of got the deflation demographic one, two. And so I think 2024, you're going to read a lot of stories around how the last 20 years have been one of economically ascending China ever deepening ties with Europe and the US. And now the unraveling of all of that begins to happen. And it doesn't mean that we don't have strong trade relations with China. 
they're just changing and they're normalizing. And the normalizing probably doesn't look as optimistic as we once thought. Um, and you've got the continued tension around technology transfers in the area of artificial intelligence. So back in 2005, 2006, 2007, after the Chinese economy opened up so tremendously to the rest of the world with its um, joining the World Trade Organization, there was a tremendous amount of technology transfer from the West to China, um, some of it willingly, some of it not so willingly. There was a lot of criticism around that um, sort of intellectual property and the lack of protection around intellectual property. It didn't matter so much for folks when it was around producing automobiles or even cell phones. But when it comes to something that has military applications like artificial intelligence, that changes everything. And so China no longer gets sort of that benefit of the technology transfer in the most cutting edge of technological areas. And that's another area where their economy is going to be sort of hamstrung by this as well. All right, uh, great question uh, on the commercial market. What are your predictions? Thank you, Sandra. What are your predictions for how the weak commercial market will affect the economy as a whole in 2024? Well, because ownership of commercial properties is so concentrated, it doesn't have the overflow effects to the economy the way that a downturn in residential real estate tends to have. So even if commercial real estate is sort of going through, particularly the office portion of commercial real estate, is going through a tremendous amount of upheaval as the more work from home trend is permanent. It's here to stay. So basically you're looking at employees who will go to the office Thursday or Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but three days a week in the office is very, very different than five days a week in the office. And it changes what the commercial footprint looks like. And as I'm sort of looking out my hotel window at all of these storefronts in New York City on a Friday that are no longer getting the foot traffic from people commuting from New Jersey and Connecticut and Pennsylvania that they used to. So certainly that's going to put downward pressure on rents and someone is going to bear that cost. But the cost of that, the banking sector in particular has insulated itself from that and changes in the way that commercial properties are financed um, means that the losses are much more concentrated and they don't have these spillover effects to the overall economy the way that they did say during the savings and loan crisis if you want to think back to that period of time, that was the 1990s. That was really the last time that commercial real estate troubles spilled over into the rest of the economy. It's been over 30 years. So things are just different now. Fantastic. Uh, similar question, but regarding the rental market and inventory. I think we can hit, but it's two separate questions. I think we can hit both at the same time. So are do we have uh, any real hope for significant amounts of new construction coming online in 2024. Let's hit that first. And then a second question uh, regarding rental markets. And I think that there's a real tie in there. So um, if you wanna tackle both of those at the same time. Well, remember that construction lags financing. So all the construction that we saw in, particularly in the apartment sector um, that happened last year or, or 2023, sort of this year. So lots of new inventory was 
were projects that were financed in the low interest rate environments of 20 and 21. So I would not expect to see a lot of new inventory come online in 2024 because no one wanted to finance a project with the interest rates at the levels that they were in 2023. So I don't expect a lot of new rental inventory in 2024, which means the downward pressure that you've seen on rents over the last six months or so, which of course hasn't shown up in the CPI numbers yet, but will over the next couple of months. So look for that story in early 2024 of rent stabilizing as opposed to being rents pushing things up because there's a lag in how they show up in those numbers. But I don't expect um, a lot of new inventory in 2024. You're not gonna see projects get financed until the Federal Reserve actually starts to cut rates in the second half and it becomes meaningful in the second half of next year. All right, I, I have a lovely note here. We're, we're at the bottom of the hour, folks. Um, and I, I wanted to read this from Tony because it's a real lead into uh, the, uh, the, the next slide or, or one of the big slides I have here for you. Um, Tony, thank you so much. Uh, Tony says, I just wanted to thank both of you for such great information all through 2023. It's really invaluable to hear your thoughts for our agents and for our clients. I beg you to continue these monthly debriefs in 2024. I got big news for you, Tony, and for everybody on here. I'm gonna show you a slide in a second. We are at a very interesting time after the pandemic and we need this monthly accountability to stay on top of an ever-changing world. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Tony Jarrett from Allen Tate. Thank you so much, Tony. Um, yes, we are continuing on. And I also wanted to do a shout out, first of all, to everybody who has joined us so faithfully uh, on these throughout the year. Um, and also have to say, since Tony's with Alan Tate, we're pulling our final uh, final numbers right now, our annual numbers from Institute, our Leading Learning Institute usage. And Alan Tate is at the top of the heap so far in terms of just sort of voracious learning. Everybody on this call, Leading RE, I've, I've said it before, you guys have heard me say it before, uh, we, we are a network of incredible learners that is why we are the best in the world and it's this kind of engagement we get hundreds we are sometimes oversold i don't know if you guys know this but there is a limit to how many people can join these things and we've we've maxed out before hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people engaging every month uh with uh marcy and uh, economic insights and i'm i'm just so grateful to everyone wishing everybody happy holidays don't leave you know yet speaking of voracious learning I'm hoping very much that you can stick around for a minute. Before we uh, send Marcy back behind the curtain, though, I wanna thank Marcy um, so much from the bottom of our heart for all of the wisdom that you bring every month to our network. This is such a unique experience, you guys, to have a, one of the top economists in the world at our disposal, answering questions every year. It's just one of the great things about this network. So Marcy, thank you. Thank you so much for your friendship, for your insight, for your wisdom. Deeply, deeply appreciated. Happy holidays, enjoy New York, and um, we will see you next year in like a week. See you guys all in the new year, 2024.